Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, it's been over a month. How have you been? How, how, how are you doing? Doing great, Josh. I'm just, the kids are in fall ball, and I'm, I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying the rest of the baseball season, watching some interesting playoff races. It's a good time of year. Nice. I'm finally fully moved into the new place. I have furniture. I have a bed. I get to sleep on a bed, John. You have no idea how great that's been these last What, what were you, a hobo before this? <laughs> I was on an air mattress for almost two months, and it had a hole in it, and every morning I woke up and my butt was on the floor because it had deflated so much. It oh got my God. real old. <laughs> Uh-oh. Okay. TMI, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, hey, it's... It's good now. I have a real bed. I have real furniture. Everything's turning around. I've started work at, at my full-time job, and, awesome. and I'm I'm ready for a, a fun off season here that we have ahead of us. But uh, first, let's let's get into some of the stuff that you've been doing behind the scenes uh, this last month while everyone else has been watching, you know, the playoff races and, and relaxing and all that. What have you been up to this month with the site, John? You know, um, it's been a you know obviously a lull in the season as far as trade activity. You can't do anything, so it's it's an opportunity for us to kind of regroup. We took a little time off in August, but then like had to set up a whole bunch of stuff for the off season, right? Because that's when the activity is going to heat up again. And so we actually got ahead of ourselves. Or I did a lot of work. I have to say, um, like taking a first pass at like okay, what are the numbers going to look like? Just so we have something to play around with that's a little bit more accurate um, in anticipation of the fall season you know the hot stove and some trading activity so these estimates that you'll see on our site today you know you'll see the point zeros instead of point two because that's indicated the site that has been updated that players numbers have been updated um, but it's just a first pass it's an estimate it's obviously the season's not over yet so we don't have all the data to work with yet but we want to at least get it started and so what you'll see there is like you know a ballpark estimate of of what their what their value is likely to be when it's all said and done and by point zeros instead of point twos, you're referring to the uh, years of control remaining now that the season has quote unquote ended. We're no longer yes. looking at an acquiring acquiring a player having two years and a little change. We're just looking at them having two full seasons. So just yeah, thank that. you, thank you for explaining that. All right. So that being said, we do actually have some some topics to hit on this week, even though obviously it's not the off season yet. No trades, no signings, none of that. Um, but we have some topics to hit on today. We're going to talk about a, a little bit more in depth on some of the update results, some risers and fallers. We're going to talk about the updated relief model. We discussed at length around the deadline um, how most of our misses for the deadline were with relievers. And we kind of looked pretty deep into why. We had some discussions back and forth, and John made some changes that he'll explain to us. Um, we have an article that John wrote about the A's and their impending rebuild, so we'll go into that. That'll be fun. We have a couple of trades of the week. Uh, but first, before all of that, we are going to actually touch on some news really quick. So obviously, like I said, no huge news here, but just a few bits we wanted to touch on, a few bits of player news, and then a few bits of front office news. So let's just very briefly get started with Matthew Boyd, Tiger's left-handed pitcher, uh, will undergo flexor tendon surgery on his left forearm. So that's another huge hit for Matthew Boyd, who, you know, two, three years ago looked like one of the top starters on the trade market. He looked like a big sleeper pick. He was striking guys out, had a bit of a home run issue, but 
you know, you're, you're figuring a team like the Astros or the Dodgers could fix that no problem, and he'd be a huge trade asset at, at one of those deadlines. Well, Tigers never moved him, and it kind of ended up being a uh, Michael Fulmer situation where his value just kind of tanked from there. And he was actually showing a little bit this season. He was kind of bouncing back a little bit, but then the injury hit, and so now he's going to be undergoing a pretty extensive arm surgery. Uh, there's no timetable right now, but the team is saying that they're hopeful he'll be able to pitch in 2022, but this effectively tanks his trade value. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, Matthew Boyd, it's just a, it's, it's a broken record, right? <laughs> like they should have traded him and they should have traded him and they should have traded him and they still didn't. And now it, maybe the other teams are breathing a sigh of relief. It was like, okay, well, at least we dodged that bullet because like, he's been injured a lot lately and especially now. So Anybody who traded for him at the deadline, even if they had, would have gotten nothing. So, uh, net, well, aside for whatever he's going to deliver next year, which hopefully for him is is decent. But he has, I believe, one year of control left. Um, so his trade value is going to be down. It was already down anyway. So, you know, there's not much left to go on there. So, yeah, I mean, from the Tigers' perspective, it would have been good if they had traded him like a year or two ago. But say mm-hmm. la And I can add that. It's not like the, uh, I mean, obviously the Tigers, like you said, would have preferred to have traded him a year ago to have traded Michael Fulmer a couple of years ago, but it's not like they're hurting too bad right now. They have a really exciting core coming up. They have been really, they've been about a 500 team since I think mid to late May, something like that. Um, they're not, they're not the cellar dwellers anymore that they used to be. They could be starting to turn around here, maybe not mm-hmm. contending fully next year, but maybe hoping around 500 ish and then maybe pushing for the wild card the year after that. I could see it. Yeah, and then obviously that core of young pitching they have with Mize and Manning and Scooble, and, and I think there are others now coming. Um, Spencer Turnbull's been out, obviously. Oh, I think he had Tommy John, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, but but they've got a good young core of pitching. They still need some more position player help. Uh, they can't just get by with signing Robbie Grossman types, you know, forever. So they're going to have to develop their own, and I think that's going to be the key. So it's probably going to be another year before they're competitive. And it is coming, though. Uh, Arizona State Sun Devil alumni, Spencer <laughs> Torkelson, first overall pick. He's he's the, one of the best hitters I've ever seen in person. He's he's special. He's rising through the system. I believe he's in double A. Uh, Riley Green, big outfield for that, outfielder for that, is up in triple A already. Uh, Dylan Dingler, catching prospect. They, they have some bats on the way here. It's not just going to be yep. Miguel Cabrera and Nico Goodrum and Robbie Grossman <laughs> trying to lead this team to the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. You know, yeah, but it's going to take a while for those guys yeah. to kind of mature. So, but but nonetheless, they're coming. I agree. Mm-hmm. All right, and two other quick hits of news, pretty similar, um, pretty related, I guess I could say. Uh, Ryan Presley, reliever for the Houston Astros, has reached his vesting option threshold with his 60th appearance of the season uh, last week. So his 2022 salary is now guaranteed. That's a 10 million dollar club option that has now vested into a fully guaranteed deal. And I don't think that's any issue for anyone. Presley's been fantastic this year, but also, you know, we've talked before about how relievers, there's kind of a cap on how much they're going to make. And Presley's a little bit older. So even as a free agent, I don't think he's getting too much more than 10 million. So I don't think he's too upset about it. Um, But yeah, I just needed to mention that that vested. Do you have anything to add there? I updated his trade value and there's some significant surplus now. He's having a fantastic Hmm. year. And we'll talk about our reliever model in a minute, in a while, but um yeah he's good he's mm-hmm. he's in peak form mm-hmm. um so yeah the astros are getting a bargain is what what it amounts to mm-hmm. all right and then uh similarly abisail garcia outfielder for the milwaukee brewers has reached the plate appearance threshold for his uh 
2022 club option to turn into a mutual option. That's a $12 million club option. And kind of like Presley, Abisail Garcia has been very good this season. So it's, it. who knows if he's going to, uh, if he's actually going to stick around with the team. I mean, mutual options are very rarely exercised by both sides because mm -hmm. there's really a narrow sweet spot in there where the same dollar amount makes sense for both sides. Mm -hmm. Either you figure either the player's overperforming and he's going to opt out or the team, the player's underperforming and the team's going to say, we are not paying him that much. Um, so I don't, I'm not going to say definitively what's going to happen here. It's probably leaning toward he hits the out, the free agent market, especially because it's such a thin outfield market this upcoming off season, and he could really mm -hmm. be one of the top dogs out there. So I think I think that's where it's looking right now. But it'll also kind of depend on the last week. If if he has a particularly bad postseason, that could sway things. So this one's still kind of up in the air. Yeah, you nailed it actually, because uh, updating his numbers as they stand right now, he's worth he's worth 13 according to our model and he's getting 12. So it's right there in the bubble. Like you, in theory, that means the Brewers say, yeah, we're getting a mm -hmm. uh, 1 million in surplus. But in, but but obviously I could say, oh, maybe I'll get 13 or 14 somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Now, but then the question is, is it worth it? Does he like it in Milwaukee? Maybe it's not worth it. So that might just be the sweet spot. We'll see. And I could even see it as I'm, as I'm pulling up uh, his player page right now. I could see it being a case where he maybe signs for a lower AAV than he has right now, but gets multiple years there. He is only 30 mm -hmm. somehow. He's, he's been young his whole career, but mm -hmm. he's only 30. But still, you wonder, you know, is it the point where he's leaning more toward getting another multi-year deal, even if it costs him a little bit, rather than betting on himself on another one-year option here? So a whole lot of factors at play there. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, that's still another month and a half away from that decision coming out. But Yeah, uh, and I do give him credit for kind of um, a bounce back because he was mm -hmm. just okay, a little bit under, you know, his what his contract was. He was a little bit underwater there, yeah. uh, like this time last year. Now he's really coming off a great season, so he's really picked it back up. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so that's that's the, it for our player news for this week. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other ones I could get into. Plenty of other injuries. There's plenty of other you know players getting released, signed to minor league deals, whatever. But none of those are too significant for the uh, the scope of our podcast here. Um, additionally, there's plenty of manager news that's starting to trickle out. But again, that's not really a huge deal in most cases in terms of trades and such. Um, but I do want to hit on some big front office news that's already starting to come out. You know. As teams fall out of contention, this is we're starting to reach the point of year where they start to make some of these front office decisions, whether that's firing guys, extending guys, whatever. And so we've got three teams here who have already started to make some pretty big noise here. And we'll start with probably the biggest here, and it's the New York Mets. So they've had a very dysfunctional season. <laughs> who, who would who would have thunk the Mets would have a, a dysfunctional season in any way? Uh, but especially within their front office, there's been issues both in terms of you know their actual moves that they've made, as well as personnel issues, harassment, uh, play, uh, uh, officials being placed on administrative leave, being fired. It's it's not, it hasn't been pretty in New York. DUIs, drunk driving. So, yeah, maybe maybe don't do that. I would recommend. Uh, but I think that's the official stance of the Baseball Trade Value podcast is don't yeah. drive drunk. Yes. Am, I, am I safe in saying that, John? You are. Cool. Um, but and, and this was kind of viewed as what was going to be the big year for the Mets because, oh, they have the new ownership. They're out from under the Wilpons. It's Steve Cohen. He's going to spend money on the team. Oh, my goodness. They got Lindor and they extended him. This is the year. Mets, baby. Uh, it <laughs> didn't happen at all. So you, you figure there's some big changes coming on the horizon here and so there's been a whole lot of speculation a whole lot of rumors 
The three big ticket names that were linked to the Mets were Eric Neander with the Rays, Theo Epstein, formerly with the Cubs and Red Sox, now with MLB's uh, league offices, and then Billy Bean with the A's. And now Eric Neander, in response to that news, the Rays kind of said, nope, we're, we're hanging on to him. They promoted him and extended him, so he's not going anywhere. Uh, there's, it, it's Theo Epstein's going to be the popular name for every high-profile team that needs a front office change. Who knows what he wants to do since he just joined the league office last year. It sounded like he kind of wanted a break from the front office role with the team. And then Billy Bean, you know, he's been with Oakland for so long, and there were, rumor, there were rumors last offseason about him leaving Oakland because of a deal involving the Red Sox. It was, it was a complicated thing. <laughs> um, but so, so all that we have right now at this point is speculation. There was a rumor that there were discussions about Billy Bean and Bob Melvin coming over together from the A's and and the A's are their own mess that we will be getting to later on in the episode. So I don't know if there's a whole lot to really say here other than, Hey, the Mets are going to be doing things and let's, I don't know if we really want to speculate too much, but just, yeah, it it feels notable. (laughs) They're a team that is going to be in the headlines all off season. I think that's safe to say. It is. And I think it's important to maybe just take a step back and say, okay, where are they? What they did. So when Cohen bought the team, he hired Sandy Alderson because he needed a baseball guy that had some, you know, respect around the industry to help Mm -hmm. him set up a whole new front office. Mm -hmm. Sandy is 74 years old and he's, you know, he battled cancer not too long ago. Mm -hmm. He, he's in the sunset of his career. He doesn't want the actual day to day. He was hired to just set it up and then, Mm -hmm. and then be an advisor and not, and then go play golf. You know, he's, and, but then, you know, he hired, so it's just been one mess after another and he's found himself more and more frustrated and it's coming out in media comments, I think, where it's like, Oh my God, now we've got to do this again. You know, it's like, he doesn't want to actually do that. Um, so they need, so he's fine with being president in sort of an overarching sense, sitting in his chair in the front of the boardroom and saying, okay, what's going on guys. But he doesn't want too much more involvement than that. So uh, he needs a president of baseball operations and a GM and they need to start fresh. The problem is, there aren't any of those guys available speculate as we might, um, mm-hmm. you know, cause they've all been, I mean, last year they, they talked to them and they couldn't find anybody. And then Steve Cohen as rich as he is, can't just pluck somebody from another team because the team won't let them, especially the Neanders and the really good ones. Now, having said that Billy Bean and Sandy Alderson obviously have a very tight relationship. Sandy was his mentor in Oakland. Uh, Sandy has gone back and forth when he was uh, after he left being the GM of the Mets the first time he went back to Oakland as a special advisor and being part of Billy Bean's club. And then he came back to the Mets to take the Cohen job. So um, so it's a natural assumption to say, oh, he'll just bring Billy over again. But who knows? I mean, Billy, I think, needs a change. I think at this point, and we'll talk about the A's in a little bit, he's mentioned. I think I, I get the sense that maybe he's a little bit tired of the gig. Like, he, you know, the reason why he was rumored in this other other venture, because it was a new kind of thing where he would have ownership and a whole new set of responsibilities. It wasn't just the same sort of baseball operations gig he's had for years. So I'm not sure if he wants another baseball operations gig. Having said that, it's total speculation. I don't know him. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe he will. Maybe he'll... He would, like Steve Cohen says, okay, got $200 million. Now see, now see what you can do with it. Maybe that would interest him. I don't know. 
Um, but there's not too many other realistic options um, unless they really, you know, surprise people and swing a Derek Falvey from Minnesota or somebody else, um, you know, whose name hasn't even come up yet. Um, don't even want to speculate. But it's a real tough thing to try to get somebody to fill that job. And I know Sandy doesn't want it. So it's going to be, to your point, you know, a real hot topic over the offseason. And, of course, it's the New York media. So they're going to go crazy with it. So it's more on that. Yeah. And I think it's also fair. I don't, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on this, but I think it's also fair to kind of question Alderson himself and his his success or lack thereof this season yeah. with the Mets. I mean, this is the guy who hired Jared Porter despite his issues, and then that blew up, and then yeah. also put Zach Scott in place, and then he, he had his issues, and that blew up. And also, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I believe Sandy Alderson was the GM when Nikki Calloway was hired there yeah, as the manager. I and we've seen, so. yeah. we have seen how that went. So, I mean, there's there's a big question of organizational culture going on right now in New York. And I mean, yes. if I'm Steve Cohen, I'm thinking long and hard about where that's coming from. Again, as I'm not an insider. I do not know how much of this stuff came to be. It could have just been kind of dumb luck and, and the Mets metsing that that they ended up with all of these not so great people in, in high ranking roles. But it also could be just some organizational overs- oversights and I don't know how much of that is to fault to Alderson or anything like that. But I, there could be a whole lot of moving pieces there is what I'm trying to get to. Um, and then I think one note on Bean is also being somebody who does not know Billy Bean personally or anything and, and it feels like his name gets thrown around a lot for a guy who doesn't speak publicly very often. I, I haven't seen anything directly from him at all this season, really. Yeah. Um, but he seems like the type who I, I don't think his, even if he decides he needs to step away from this type of role within baseball this off season and ends up going through with something similar to the uh, Fenway deal that he was uh, contemplating last off season or, Something along those lines. I think he's a bit in that Theo Epstein mold from last offseason where he might just need a break. I don't think he's stepping away from baseball operations completely given what his legacy is right now. Because, you know, he's. (laughs) If you've watched Moneyball, you know how driven he is, how motivated he is to win. And he hasn't done that in his baseball operations career. He's been so close, he's never made it. And I don't think he's. He's the type that'll ever really give up on that. He might come back with another team in a few years. He might come back with the A's if they're either in Vegas or a new ballpark in Oakland and have money now. I could see that happening a few years down the road. But I don't. even if he does step away from the A's this offseason, I don't think he'll be done in baseball operations for good. And again, pure speculation there. Okay. It'd be an interesting story to land to follow. That's, that's for sure. Okay, and then from there, a, a bit of a similar situation in the Padres front office where just disappointing season and there's already starting to be some turnover. Uh, Farm director Sanghini is out. Uh, There have been some other internal moves in in relations to that. But the Padres, A.J. Preller, his magic didn't work this year. I mean, he he didn't really work much magic at the trade deadline. We discussed how quiet they step, how they kind of came in second uh, for Max Scherzer. And it hasn't worked out. They've stumbled out of the playoffs. They're very, very unlikely to make it at this point, especially with what the Cardinals have been doing. But th- there's going to be some changes there for sure. And there, I'd argue that there maybe need to be um, some changes at, at some level there, whether that is in the front office or 
on the field or both. Do you, how do you feel about AJ Preller's job security right now? I think it's fine. I, you know, he's, I think he signed a long-term contract till 2025 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's got the confidence of the ownership there. Um, I don't think they see it as, as his fault necessarily. I think they see him. He did a lot, obviously, wheeling and dealing and, and mm-hmm. mostly trading away prospects. He built a strong farm. He then transferred that asset value to the team. The team obviously did, did not perform as they expected them to. But it's only year, I would say, really year one of this aggressive effort. Like, you know, they were sort of, yes, like you could say last year, but it was a COVID year. And, you know, really this year was the year they really went for it. Um, and most of these guys are still controllable through next year. You might have noticed Musgrove is still controlled. Darvish still controlled. You know, Blake Snell is still controlled. Uh, all, most of the guys they traded for, you know, they weren't rentals. And they had that in mind that they were going to go beyond this year. So I think he's got another at least year to prove it. If they fall flat next year, maybe a different story, but he's fine. I think the changes are like, okay, what's happening on the field? I think Jace Tingler's job is in jeopardy, the field manager, and maybe some other coaches and maybe some other people in sort of the lower levels of the front office who maybe, you know, you mentioned in development is might, is might be an issue um, because they had to trade for a lot of guys. Maybe they felt like their farm wasn't developing enough homegrown talent to the degree that they would like to see. So anyway, they're going to look at all of that. And I think you will definitely see changes, but I don't think it's going to be at Prowler. Really. Yeah, I I would strongly agree with that. I've seen a little bit of speculation on Twitter that Preller's gone, and I I don't buy it at all, because you know you look at where the Padres are, and it's they're they're where they are right now because Preller is a genius. Like <laughs> they he built them back up from nothing into the one of the more exciting teams, into a team that everybody expected to be fighting the Dodgers all season for first place in the NL West. It's that's all Preller. I don't just because the team didn't play up to their end of the bargain i don't think you can put that all on him now i do think they need some changes i think we discussed in the uh in one of our last couple episodes before we went on a hiatus we discussed kind of their outlook and how i pretty strongly believe they need to get out from one of hosmer or myers in order to add anything else to their team with the way payroll is right now with the way it's going to be in the near future they need some sort of pitching either bullpen uh, rotation wherever and that they like you mentioned they're kind of sold out the farm they don't really have many pieces to move for pitching unless they're getting a really really big name and giving up one of their really really big guys so i think they're going to need to get creative there get out from under one of those contracts so they can sign some pitching and, and help out that situation but i mean the talent's all there and I, i'd probably agree with you that there's something on the development side that needs some help because it seems like scouting has been very, very successful, and I don't know how much of that is Preller or the rest of the scouting department, but they have identified so much talent. That's how they got such a loaded farm system, by both in trades and in the international market especially, identifying talent as well as anybody else. But something was missing there in the leap from identified talent to the big league roster, where a lot of those big names were traded and haven't done quite as well elsewhere. So there, there is something there. They're missing a step of the equation it seems, uh, but I, I don't think that's Preller's yeah. fault. He'll, he'll have some work to do, but yeah. he's I mean, not the one to blame here. A little bit, maybe, since he's the head of it all, um, mm-hmm. but but yeah, there's some work to do there. I mean, Mackenzie Gore was the top pitching prospect in baseball as recently as a year or two ago, and he's mm-hmm. He's, you know, his value has gone way down because he's had a lot of trouble. And so, and that's just one example, but, you know, they've, um, 
you know, they really, if you look at their team, it's almost all put together by trades and a little bit of free agency with the exception of Tatis maybe, um, you know, and so they can only do that so far. They have to grow their own talent. Um, there's a big drop off after their first couple of prospects to the, after that, it's nothing. JB, JJ Abrams, Robert Hassel, and um, maybe could still throw Gore in there, but after that, you know, so it's maybe. really it's a cliff. You know, there's not yeah. much left. So um, yeah, yeah. So they they've got a real challenging uh, off season. Yeah, yeah. Camposano up there as well, but he's also had his major league struggles, so it's it's a bit of a question mark for him too. Yeah, and I just want to make one more point. I just remembered, which is health really killed their season, especially on the pitching yeah. side. You know, uh, Lamette's injury and Blake Snell wasn't right and. Darvish, I think, was injured for a little bit. And, you know, they, they've been decimated by injuries. And so, and Preller knew that. And that's why he kept trading for pitchers because he knew yeah. he needed depth. So it necessarily, wasn't necessarily his fault in terms of the planning. But you could maybe look at something in their training staff or their health approach. Is there anything they can do to help sort of mitigate that uh, going forward is the only other sort of question I have. I think there was an also, also an expectation that Gore would be a part of that depth. And as you mentioned, that just didn't pan out at all. So now you're down one guy and you lose Lamette, which, like you said, I think he's one of the guys that you really, that he knew he needed depth for Lamette because he yeah, had been injury right. prone to that point. And you didn't really know what to expect from him coming back. Uh, but you lose him and, and yeah, just get kind of beat up around. And then, and then Snell and Darvish have had very oddly mirrored seasons where Blake Snell was just a mess for the longest time, and then he's been on a pretty hot streak as of late, and Darvish was kind of the opposite. He was pretty effective in the first half, and he's really fallen off since. And so mm-hmm. they'll ex- they need at least one of those two guys to put together a good full season for, for things to work out next year. And, and based on their track records, you'd, you'd bet on at least one of them doing so. So I, I think they're in a decent spot. This was a horrible season for them, a horrible outcome. Nobody wanted this happen. Nobody expected this, uh, but I don't think it's time to raise the alarms the way it yeah. might be for the Mets. I agree. All right, and then last one, probably not as much to say on this one, uh, but the Royals kind of did the opposite of those two teams. They're really <laughs> they promoted Dayton Moore and JJ Piccolo, 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 uh, JJP. Uh, they promoted them. They've been in with the Rays for a while, and I guess the the organization is pleased with how things have been going, even though, the, or did I say Rays? I meant Royals, excuse me. Um, even though the Royals did not uh, see as much on-field success as I think they expected they would, they saw about the level of, of success as I expected they would, and I think as you expected they would, but they had much higher expectations for themselves this season. Uh, so they promoted those two guys and then also hired Gene Watson from the, uh, I believe from the Angels? Uh, yes, uh, as the vice president and assistant GM. So just a little bit more front office, I wouldn't call it movement, some front office changes for the Royals, um, transactions. Uh, I don't know, I don't really know what to make of that, I guess. Uh, they've, they're such a weird franchise, and they have been for the past decade, it feels like. They really zag when everyone else zigs, but like not in a good way. <laughs> like they're they're pretty old fashioned, it seems like. Um, but they have a pretty young farm, a pretty strong farm, excuse me, and some talent on the roster. I I, I don't know. What do you make of it? Um, you know, I think you know. Keep in mind the new owner. Um, what to kind of make make his statement? I think he really likes Dayton Moore. He's kind of their guy, and they're like true blue to Kansas City. You know, they really value that sort of sense of loyalty. So, 
Um, I think that's what that's all about. Maybe you could say a little bit just to protect them from the Mets poaching, you know, and you see that with Neander and the Rays and a couple other moves, um, you know, where they're promoting them. So because there's a rule that you can't poach um, like a, a lateral move. So it would have yeah. to be a GM to a president, a, a baseball operations kind of thing. So if you if you promote a Dayton more, then he's not poachable. So um, same with Neander and a few others. So um you could maybe say a little bit of that, although I, I'm not sure Dayton Moore was really seriously a candidate for the Mets job, but who knows? Um, uh, but no, I think it's more about just sort of sending a strong signal that, hey, we want to be a really stable operation. We like our guys. You know, we're here for the long run, so let's do it. Where do you where do you have the Royals right now? Because they have they have that big farm. They have Bobby Witt Jr., who is fantastic. They have Nick Prado, who's breaking out right now. So they have some bats coming, which is really their their biggest weakness at the major league level right now. And they're adding them to Whit Merrifield, who's still productive and Salvador Perez, who lost his mind in August. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they've always been pretty good at developing relief pitching. So they'll, they'll figure that part out as it goes. Uh, But their young starters have been a mess this year. Yeah. They've been a disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. Jackson Cower can't get out. (laughs) Daniel Lynch and Chris Bubich and Brady Singer. They've all had their issues Uh, in the minors. Asa Lacey, doesn't have much command he was their top pick in Mm -hmm. 2020 number four overall Mm -hmm. it's i don't know it's it's a weird they have as much talent as anybody as far as major league ready young starting pitching it's just not showing yet and i mean you don't you don't expect all these guys to be dominating the league as rookies here but you want to see a little more positivity than i think we have seen from them so what where where do you have the royals are they trending in the right direction right now a little bit. I mean, I think they got some holes to fill. Um, I really like Nicky Lopez's uh, progress yeah. this year. Um, Merrifield has started to decline if you look at his pattern. Um, so I'm not sure how much left he has, maybe a year or two, and you're going to start to see a drop off there. But the, the it's not like they have an army of talent coming in. They're not like the Rays. You mentioned the pitching has been a little disappointing. They maybe have something to look at there in terms of their pitching development system. They're not the the Cleveland team where they have like pitchers galore, like a factory. You know, they're the, kind of the opposite. Like you expect a little bit more, and they're not quite delivering. Um, now, granted, so most of these pitchers were not like super high end prospects. None of them were like top ten or anything. So it's not like mm-hmm. they were projected to be aces, but nonetheless, they should at least be three, four ish starters. Um, and you're not quite seeing that yet. So maybe just give it a little more time. I do think, you know, and they've got. Uh, you mentioned Wit. You mentioned Prado. Um, MJ Melendez is, is another uh, 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 prospect who's really come on strong in their farm. So they've got some position players coming, but I, I, I feel like they're going to sort of mix and match between them and some some other Carlos Santana-type veterans they're going to throw in. Maybe Ben and Tende will stick around. So, you know, it's, it's just a muddled muddled picture right now. I don't see them contending seriously anytime soon until they get that straightened out. Mm-hmm. I'm still feeling really good about my Andrew Benintendi, Ryan Sweeney call. Yeah, I think you're on to something there. Um, just as a quick, entirely unimportant aside, um, Whit Merrifield leads the entire major leagues in two statistical categories. Do you want to guess what they are? Uh, stolen bases? Almost. He leads the okay. American League in stolen bases, but not all of baseball. I believe that's that might be Starling Marte. And since, it's uh, between, since it's split between the AL and NL, he doesn't lead either league, but I think he leads baseball. Oh, uh, okay. You're getting me on a technicality here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but on, on baseball reference, he's got 
Stolen base is in bold, meaning he leads the league, but he's got two other stats in bold and italic, which means he leads the entire majors. Uh, games played? Close. Ooh. Along the same lines. You're on the right, right appearances? track appearances? Plate appearances? You're getting real hot. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> like, you couldn't uh... be hotter than plate appearances. <laughs> At bats. Yeah, there you go. Okay, there's, one, there's number one, and you're never, ever going to get the other one. It's sacrifice flies. Uh, oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> yes, 12 sacrifice flies. All right, so, wow. So he's a run producer. He's a, he's, he's a team player. He's doing yeah, the right thing. he plays thing. the game the right way. There you go. <laughs> All right. Enough of that. That's that. That took much longer than I expected. Um, so next up, uh, where do you, where do you want to go next? We can go to the value updates. We can go to the relievers. We can go to the A's. Where do you want to head? Um, let's actually, since we're talking about um, kind of the general, I I just want to touch on some of the valuation updates and maybe just add some color to it by talking about some of the, the biggest movers, some risers and fallers. Okay. Um, so the general point, as I mentioned earlier, is that you know we're doing a valuation update, a round of it, just to get an early projection of what the off-season values you know, will probably look like. So you'll see their numbers. Their numbers will change again once the season ends and we start to get a little bit more accurate projections with data. Um, but, but for now, we're sort of you know a ballpark sort of estimate. Having said that, there are some really clear you know, risers and fallers. And I'm just going to touch on a, on a couple of them. Start with the happy news on the risers side. Um, you know, no surprise, Austin Riley has had a breakout season. So his value has just shot up, right? Um, I'm going to mention a few others who, who are sort of on that, that same sort of category where they used to be prospects, but then they sort of struggled a little bit and then they, they kind of came back up. Um, Gavin Lux of the Dodgers had really seen his value tank. And since he's come back, he's actually performing very well, and he's starting to show that he could really be a serious uh, regular player. So it's starting to creep back up again. In our next update, I think you'll see it go back even further, uh, go up even further. Um, and sometimes, you know, we're, when we're doing valuations, sometimes they surprise me because I, I, some, you know, we can't follow every team that intimately. Uh, Ranger Suarez <clears throat> is having a year. I mean, this and I, I, this is one of those things where you like you don't even look at the name, you look at the numbers. Like, what the? Who is this? <laughs> He's got numbers like this. What? Who is this? You know? And is he a reliever? Is he a starter? Is he both? He's both, and he's doing a tremendous job for the Phillies. He's one of the reasons why they're back in it because he's just been excellent this year. He's a break. Very, guy. very timely. Did you see what he did today? What did he do today? He threw a Maddox. <laughs> oh my gosh! Against the against the Pirates, so little little asterisk, but but he threw a Maddox. And this is a guy who, like you said, he's he's been a reliever for a lot of the season. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like as recently as a year ago, we thought, oh, he's just kind of a back-end starter filler. But he has totally changed his career this year. You know, so he's, he's his value has shot up. So don't be surprised by that, at least as I was. Um, Bryce Harper, obviously, is yes. an MVP candidate. And, you know, his contract was looking underwater uh not too long ago and man he's been on a tear and now he's actually his contract is a bargain he's he's got some surplus value uh the way things are going so good for bryce he's having a really great back, uh, bounce back year <clears throat> he's incredible i i love his swing i i love his style and it seems like a, a lot of people have said this i'm not the first one to say it but it seems like he was he walked so guys like Ronald Acuna and Fernando Tatis Jr. could run. Like he was the he was the first of this wave of guys playing with with attitude, with style, and he yeah. really got a lot of hate for it. And now we're seeing 
you know, let the kids play took was a big movement. And it's definitely not a consensus. There's still plenty of old grouches in there that lose their mind when they see a, a bat flip. <laughs> but it seems like there's so much more support now for guys like Acuna and Tatis playing with their own style, their own flair. And I think yeah. a lot of that, I, I think they have, they have Harper to thank for a lot of that. Yeah. And I think that's wonderful. And baseball definitely needs its stars and they should let them, you know, ha- express their personalities. I'm totally in favor of that. Um, and then maybe not some, some as obvious as that, but um, Frankie Montas of the A's has had a, a bounce back year and he's really, his value has really climbed up quite a bit because um, he's, you know, he's still got two years of control after this. He's, he's really um, become quite a, quite an attractive starter. And uh, we'll talk about the A's in a moment. Um, I just want to touch one moment on Kevin Kiermeyer, who, you know, has been, his, for the last year or two, his contract has been underwater and some Tampa Bay fans have challenged that and saying, yeah, he's a really good player. I don't think he's underwater. Well, you know, he has, I think we've stood by it that he has been underwater, but I will give him credit for, and I'm not saying about this latest controversy, but just in terms of his playing, his value has kind of shrunk back to very close to zero, partly as a function of time because he's still with less money and he's only got a year left and partly because he's playing decently like this hitting profile hasn't changed but he's playing still playing a great center field and it's almost to the point where his value is is even so we'll see on the next update but it's like minus three now whereas it used to be it was minus 14 it was minus 11 it was minus eight now it's minus three so it's going in the right direction i i would argue that <laughs> the the fact that the rays haven't traded kevin kiermeyer kind of proves that his value was underwater mm-hmm. because he i believe he is their highest played player and we know we know all about the Rays' budget issues, and so if they had been, and there were teams that needed center fielders in that span, you know, if he if he truly had positive value, I think he would have been a New York Met. Uh, but that didn't happen because you know it's harder to line up on a sunk cost trade, and the Rays probably didn't want to chip any money in there. So uh, yeah. I think that's a little uh, a point in our favor. But it is it, there's no doubting that he does have pretty solid on-field value just by the glove alone, mm-hmm. and it's the whole rest of it is just about how much he hits and how much he can stay on the field. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I did want to mention um, on the prospect side, uh, there have definitely been some risers and credit to the public evaluators who publish these. Baseball America in particular has been very much on top of it. So there's been some real breakout seasons. And keep in mind, you know, due to the pandemic, 2020 was kind of the last year for prospects. So we didn't really have the same information you know, how these guys were going to perform now that they're back in business and have a full year of data. And some of them have really broken out and shot up. Um, uh, Volpe, Anthony Volpe of the Yankees has been a huge riser. And his values up, it went from like the low 10s and tweet teens to the 20s to the 30s. Now he thinks up to like 51. Um, Gabriel Moreno of the Blue Jays also up, up to close to a top 10 prospect in baseball. George Kirby of the Mariners, another another uh, fast riser. So there's a bunch of others, but but you'll, the point is you'll see some 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 movement on the prospect side because we now have real data with these guys actually playing uh, a full year of minor league baseball. So it's good to see those as well. Mm-hmm. On the negative side, unfortunately, um, we all know Cody Bellinger is having a nightmare of a year, yes. to the point where he's a potential non-tender candidate. Um, and that's debatable. Uh, I think we're going to see in the next update whether he is, but he's been creeping down closer and closer to zero. Keep in mind, because of his, his MVP year, when he hit his ARB years, he's very expensive. So he's making $16 million a year. 
and typically you don't you know you don't get a a, a salary reduction in your army you you, you expect that you're going to get a raise each year, year so is he worth more than 16 million going forward is he worth even 20 is it going to be a big debate with the dodgers um right now we're we're taking um you know a reasonably generous stance and saying yes he's got a little surplus value because his mvp year was so great he was a seven war ish player um and you and he's still young um so he's still got he hasn't even hit his prime years yet on the other hand what the heck happened <laughs> i mean is it the shoulder injury is it something else did he just get in a slump he never get out of so like how much rope do you give like is this a the question is is this a permanent disaster or is it a temporary disaster of a season um so you know based on his track record i think you'll still see a little bit of surplus value there i think we have him down to 10 but it, it is a genuine debate whether he should be tendered a contract next year uh, next season that's gonna be an interesting one um, i i think that's a case where you stick him on the a's and he's a non-tender candidate but on the dodgers they have the the flexibility to take a chance because if if it works it's he's so huge like yeah because he right. has that super duper star upside that right you, you, it's a no-brainer to just hang on to him and, and if you're burning 18 million 20 million whatever you're the dodgers it's not a big deal they're already burning yeah. more than that on bauer this season yeah i i agree i think i think they'll give him another shot at 20 million or so um and hope for the best and and maybe they're right that it was the shoulder he had shoulder shoulder surgery uh you know at the last fall and and maybe he hadn't fully recovered from it. that's what they've been saying so maybe there's something to that um another big follower uh well to the surprise of no one is Gliber torres who was pulled off of shortstop recently by the yankees uh, because he's he's just not a shortstop uh, he's a second baseman and he's not even a great second baseman he's just not a great defender um, and his hitting has not been, he's actually, you know, everyone thought, well, at least he can hit. But if you look at his WRC plus, he's actually below average. So now he can't field and he's not the hitter that you thought he was. So what is he? <laughs> at least he's still got a few years of control left, but he's going to be hitting. He's, you know, he's going to start getting expensive. So the, the surplus value is really tanked. He's down to like 16 in our latest update. I mean, he used to be in the sixties and seventies. So he's really fallen off. Um, I don't, I don't think that's going to be a surprise to anyone, especially even Yankee fans who now are thinking, oh, let's trade him because they always like mm-hmm. to trade their stri- struggling players. <clears throat> let's trade him for Shane Bieber. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> or Luis Castillo. Yeah. Um, I just want to mention other um, two other categories. Uh, we mentioned Mackenzie Gore really falling off on the prospect side. Um, was one of the biggest droppers. Uh, he used to be a top five prospect. Now he's barely in the top 100. Apparently there's mechanical issues, there's control issues, there's even velocity issues. He's a mess. And they're trying to fix him. As we talked about with the Padres, we'll see if they actually can. And that's going to be a big question mark. But if they ever need, if there was a season where they ever needed a starting pitcher, you know, they would have called him up, but he, the fact that he, they did not, not, did not call him up, despite the fact that needing one so badly that they had to go out and sign Jake Arrieta for Christ's sake, then, you know, you know, something's bad in the McKenzie Gore land. Um, so that's not a good situation. Um, AJ Puck, uh, I think the ship is starting to have sailed there. He's an oft injured reliever only now candidate uh, guy yeah. who who has not even had success as a reliever yet he's still got stuff which is still a little bit upside but at a certain point you got to say you know it's deliver or not deliver i mean there's not much you know and he's running out of time because i think this was the last option year so if he doesn't deliver next year is dfa uh, so his his value is getting really down to low single digits if not closer to zero um some other 
you know, guys in that sort of sort of post prospect world. Nick Senzel just again cannot put it together. He's down in the single digits now. Former first overall draft pick Mickey Moniak is looking like he's a total bust. Unfortunately, he's down to like the really low single digits. So, not much on upside or or hope there either. So, those are all kind of sad stories, unfortunately. But that's, that's just a taste of what's going on. Um, I will say, Fangraphs has Puck as two option years remaining after this year. Oh, I'm sorry. This year, yeah, yeah, you're right, right. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, so, um, but next year he'll have one option year left. And starts, yeah, the clock yeah. is ticking. Yeah. Yeah, and he's, uh, I just closed the page because I'm forced to edit. He's 26, so yeah, getting up there a little bit, and, and it's very clear that he's not the guy <laughs> that he could have been if not for the injuries. So uh, all your other points there are still valid. Okay. All right, so why don't we just transition from there um, to actually that's a good jumping off point talking about a likely reliever jumping off to the reliever changes that we've made um and then from there we can go into the, the featured trades and then wrap up with the a's okay so <clears throat> as you pointed out josh in the intro um we feel like our um our model is very solid and we have the track record to show it and we're very transparent about that um, but we can always get better, as we've always said. And so whenever we see anomalies here and there, we say, hmm, is there something we could get better at? And so after this last deadline, we looked at that and said, okay, uh, we're a little off on a couple of them. Um, we hit most of them. There was a bell curve, and I, I mentioned this in the article I did post-deadline, where most of the trades fit in the bell curve, but there were a couple of outliers, enough to where we say, hmm, <laughs> maybe we should take a look at this a little bit more. And there are definitely some some low-hanging fruit changes. There were a couple of, I don't want to get too far into the details or in the, into the, you know, the real crunchy, the number crunching things, but I just want to say a few general points about it. Um, we did take a really close look, and Josh and I went back and forth on some things. Um, one of the most interesting things, and Josh will credit you for pointing this out, is that relievers generally you have to bake in expected decline, right? You can't just assume they're going to be good forever because they're very volatile. Um, and if you, the more research I did on it, the more that became evident. Like one example is looking at the top relievers of 2019 on Fangraphs by war. Um, and, you know, if you look at the top 100, 80% of them, 80% of them are not in the top 100 in this year, in 20, wow. it's just two years later. You know, 80% of them have fallen off the list. That's statistically significant, you know, and you can get into like the, you know, maybe some were injured and maybe they didn't, maybe they were bad, but not as bad. There's relative performance there, but 80% of them have totally fallen off the list and there's a total new crop coming in. If you look at also the turnover and, you know, the amount of relievers in our model, so many of them come and go and come and go and come and go because at the bottom, the bottom half of each sort of bullpen of every team is kind of the, the shaky end, right? So, you know, the top half, maybe even in a good team is shaky as well, but especially the bottom half, these are guys with, you know, who are barely all cold in water, right? So, so a lot of them are going to be zero value, you know, low single digits, if any. Um, so um, the point is relievers are volatile. We all know that. And so we wanted to make sure a, we accounted for the expected decline, especially from a trade point of view. You might see, for example, in the three-year forecast that Dan Saborski does, does for Zips, and if you look at a Fangraphs page of reliever, and you might say, oh, they're expected to be the same every year. And that's that may be from a from a, uh, from one vantage point, from a, but from a trading standpoint, I don't think any front office expects that because they know 
not to invest in relievers and they know where they're volatile and they may not get their money back so they're gonna they're gonna skew low and so we have to skew low to to match that in other words so in other words we have to bake in expected decline mm-hmm. so there, <clears throat> yeah yeah yep. there, there's one uh one little example of that that i am struggling to make right now i'm sorry I, I blanked on a name and i'm trying to pull up the roster resource page as quickly as i can mm-hmm. um where is he where is he stalling for time what I'm, it's an example uh, there he is john curtis there yeah. <laughs> so right. john curtis was pretty pretty solid for the uh for the marlins this season and he was traded at the deadline for a pretty small return. I believe it was Peyton Henry who's uh-huh. really projected as maybe a backup catcher type. And that was a uh-huh. bit strange. You know, Curtis, yeah, he's 28, but he was pretty solid for, like I said, pretty solid for the the Marlins this season, 248 ERA, 322 FIP. Um, and then the year before with Tampa Bay in 2020, he was excellent, 180 ERA, 335 FIP. And, and so you say, okay, he overperformed his ERA both years, whatever. But still, that's a pretty solid, pretty valuable reliever. Why is he just getting, with, uh, I believe, four years of control, something like that, three or four? Mm-hmm. Why is he just getting moved for a maybe backup catcher? And then, you know, <laughs> he debuts with the Brewers and doesn't go very well, four and a third innings, a 12.46 ERA, and then he's out with Tommy John surgery. Yeah. So not to say that anybody knew that was happening or that you can expect that to happen with anyone, but that's just the inherent risk there with relievers. And so the, neither team in that equation was valuing too heavily what George, or excuse me, what uh, John Curtis is going to look like in 2025. They weren't thinking right. about that. They care about what he's going to look like in 2021. Maybe it's a it's an added bonus that, hey, he might be good in 2022. And then beyond that, it's like, who, who knows what's going to happen? I'm not planning that far ahead. It, it's, it's That's just a coin flip anyway so yeah and especially because he's coming from a baseline of not elite it's one thing if you're a liam Hendricks and very clearly the best reliever in the game you can expect that to continue for a while i i I would have to guess and, and maybe not specifically going from 2019 to 2021 but just historically i would have to guess that there's a lot more stickiness in the top 10 continuing to be maybe a top 30 reliever than there is in the top 100 continuing to be a top 150 reliever it's true there is a stickiness with the top guys the liam hendrixes and and a few a couple others even but even chapman has stuck around forever even even in a down season now he's still been productive yeah Yeah, but even if you look at you know craig kimbrell obviously had his struggles and he's been up and down Kenley Jansen has been in decline. Um, so there are definitely cases of decline here and, and volatility. Look, so so every team knows relievers are, relievers are volatile. Um, and the other thing is, you know, track record doesn't seem to matter as much. It's really based on the hot hand and what you're doing now, to your point. And you you sort of, you know, you invest it like what you're doing now, but don't expect too much in the future. So you sort of have to sort of, bake in your sort of decline, you know, um, values from there. So they may be hot right now, but you're going to decline further from there. And if they, if they overperform that, great, but you're not going to pay for it. You're not going to expect it. And, and so going back, you know, years doesn't make too much sense in the model either because everybody's looking at recency. So we had to align for that as well. Having said that, what that does to the model is it makes it more volatile. So you'll see levers, in valuation jump up and down a little bit more 
so we're still trying to i still want to you know ideally you would see like a like a, a trend line right like a regression line that, that is a little bit more stable but on the other hand when the white Sox overpay for kimbrel at the deadline which is an, which was an extreme outlier and you know the rays throw away diego castillo which is another outlier you think well maybe it isn't maybe you shouldn't do you know you on the one hand maybe say okay don't don't model the outliers and i agree with that but on the other hand maybe the trend line isn't quite the same way either so you have to basically take the volatility you know at its face value you have to they're going to be volatile so show the volatility so month by month they're going to go up and down so you know but the range is going to be somewhat small they're going to go zero to three or three to six or whatever but it's not going to be that huge for the most part um so uh, the point is the re reliever model, I think, now is more accurate, and we've already started back testing so far so good, and I think it is more accurate based on certainly what we saw in the deadline, but also some other history. Um, but I also think it's going to be more volatile. You're going to see the numbers jump around a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Yep, I, I agree. Okay. Do you have anything else there on relievers, or are we good to move on? I think we're good to move on, yeah. Okay. So now we have two featured trades this week uh, because we expected to be a little bit lighter on content but we've managed to stretch it because of course we have uh and, and i didn't want to spend super long on either of these anyway since it's pretty speculative at this point and as we mentioned these values are updated but not necessarily final because there's still some baseball to be played and we're going to have new prospect rankings and all of that so uh, but I, I at least want to discuss a bit more generally maybe the framework of both of these and and why they do or don't make sense so mm -hmm. Starting out here with a deal between the Pirates and Marlins, suggested by AJ Bucks. And this one, this has been a popular fit for the last few months, is the Marlins acquiring outfielder Brian Reynolds. They really need a center fielder, and Brian Reynolds is probably the top one available, or, or potentially available, going into the offseason after such a strong rebound 2021. And so we have him at 78.9 million in median trade value, which is a ton. And so in exchange, the Marlins have to give up uh, two of their best pitching prospects, Max Meyer at 28.1 and Yuri Perez at 10.3. Perez has been a big riser this season and Meyer a 2020 first round pick, as well as their 2021 first round pick, Khalil Watson at 25, and another kind of hot prospect uh, in outfielder Peyton Burdick at 7.6 million. So this is a haul for the Pirates. This is a huge return for them. We've talked about how in... A lot of their trades, they kind of went quantity over quality, and that's going to lead to some roster issues down the line. So if they're going to be trading anybody else, they kind of need to get some real quality in there that, that rises above the rest. And I think they're getting four guys here with pretty massive upside. Um, so obviously, kind of have to love it for them. And the values, you know, don't add up perfectly. You got the Pirates at 71 uh, in their return, and the Marlins getting Reynolds at 78.9. But as a, as a commenter on the deal kind of suggests – there's a chance that some of those prospects rise a bit um, in the uh, in the offseason rankings, and so yeah, there's a chance there. And once you get into the, the the 70s of value, the error bars get a little bit bigger. So while while there's a gap here on the numbers, I, I'm not going to put too much stock in that right now. I will, however, say that I'm not sure the Marlins are super excited to trade two of their top young starters in Meyer and Perez. I think they'd rather part with one of their kind of collection if they could 
and I think they were absolutely stoked to get Khalil Watson to fall to them mm-hmm. as far as he did. I don't think they're just going to turn around and deal him. So I, I, obviously you have to acknowledge that if they've been in talks for Brian Reynolds, if they want him, they're going to have to give up a lot. It's going to have to hurt. Uh, but I don't think this is this quite fits what they picture in, in a deal like that. Yeah, I, I would agree uh, with all of your points. Uh, I think the the values are, are close enough, and I, I think the commenter makes a fair case. So that's valuation wise, I think we're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it does perception wise look like a haul for the Pirates, so I think that would be interesting to them. And also Brian Reynolds, um, I'll double check this, but it only has three years of control left. He's going to start to get into his RP years. So you could strategically say, okay, well, when are the Pirates going to be good again? Is, is Reynolds going to be there when, when they are good again? Um, is their timeline 2023, 24? You know, you have to kind of play that out a little bit because Reynolds is probably at peak value right now if he's only got three years left. So I know they don't want to trade him, but if it's a haul like this, maybe they would consider it. Um, but I also agree with you that um, Watson's probably not going anywhere because he's too new, and that's typically not something you see. Um, and they probably, I know they will definitely trade from their starting pitching depth because they have tons of it. They've really have become a really an excellent pitching factory. They don't get enough credit for that, much like Cleveland has. The, the Marlins have been churning out really great pitching. Something going on there at the development staff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've said this before, but I mean, even guys you never heard of are emerging from the, like, what? Well, you know, where did that guy come from? So, um, you know, so I, I think there's, they're definitely trading from excess here with at least one of Meyer or Perez, and maybe you can swap out somebody else from that. Maybe a six-do would be better as a lead piece, which would obviously change the other pieces. But something like that, I think, maybe would be more realistic. But I do like the framework. Um, so on Spot Track, they have Reynolds with four years of arbitration remaining. Yeah, we'll double-check that. Yeah, we're going to have to... We <laughs> The numbers get a little wonky sometimes in the years category because when we're going through... Uh, our whole system-wide updates, we don't necessarily want to be checking every single player on a site like Track or something to verify that their service time is exactly perfect. So there are some guys that slip through the cracks and don't quite have the right number there, but we'll, we'll, we'll double-check on that one. Yep. Um, but yeah, I agree with every other point you made there. I, I, I do like the... It's a fun proposal, and I, I do like it, as we said, from a value standpoint. I'm just not sure it makes perfect sense for the Marlins. I don't think Reynolds is necessarily the guy I'd be targeting if I were them. I guess if he does have that fourth year of control, then then he makes a bit more sense for their timeline. Uh, but they might be better off looking for someone a little younger, maybe something along the lines of uh, the Zach Gallon trade. They, or yeah, the, was that the Zach Gallon, Gallon yeah. trade? Uh, for, yeah. Uh, yeah, for, for Jazz, Jazz Chisholm. Chisholm. Okay, mm-hmm. something along those lines, a prospect challenge trade where they can move a guy like Max Meyer, a top starting pitching prospect for a, a top center field prospect, outfield prospect, and who's nearly MLB ready and, and kind of shuffle things around that way. I think I'd like that a little bit more for them, but it seems like they're pretty set on adding a major league piece. So yeah, that, that's going to be one of the biggest uh, biggest trade areas to keep an eye on this offseason, I think. Yeah, and by the way, just checking baseball reference, they do have them with four years of control. So um, okay. I think we have two, two pieces of reliable sources that will change that. I think it's because he's a super two. So he is our ARB eligible in 2022, but he's going to have four years of ARB instead of three. So that's where the mm-hmm. confusion was. So we'll fix that. And and because of that and how arbitration works, that's not going to skyrocket his value or anything like that because that fourth right. year is going to be pretty expensive. So Exactly. 
Okay, so there's that one. Thank you, AJ Bucks. And now we will move on to our second featured trade, Trade of the Week, which is actually a pretty good transition into our final topic of the episode because this one's between the Blue Jays and the A's, and it's from user AppleTax, who has the Blue Jays acquiring third baseman Matt Chapman at $24.5 million in trade value in exchange for infield prospect Jordan Groshans at $24.5 million in value. So it's a perfectly even trade um, from the value perspective. And you see <laughs> there's precedent for this one for the Blue Jays acquiring a star third baseman A's, who's, who's very effective on both sides of the ball. A's fans are throwing <laughs> pies at his duck. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I mean, as we'll talk about in a minute here, things aren't looking great for the A's. They've just rattled off a couple big wins against the Astros, but it looks like too little too late for them. They're just pretty far out of the wild card picture, and now that they've been passed by the Mariners, that's just another team they would have to leapfrog to get into it. And even then, are you really, <laughs> given their recent track record in the past few years, are, they, are you really picking them to win a wild card game at this point? I'm not. So things don't look great for them as far as this season and, and, and in the short term and long term future. But we'll get into that. So, so it seems like Chapman could be a reasonable trade chip. Plus, his stock has fallen pretty considerably. He had a very poor offensive season. He's coming around here in the second half and especially in this last month or so. But the strikeout rate is still pretty high. Um, the, the good thing with Chapman is that he plays such incredible defense that even as a league average hitter, he's a four-win player probably. But the big appeal of him and what gave him so much value before was that he was a well-above-average hitter with elite defense, and that just gave him so much value. Um, but now that we're he's closer to free agency, he's getting more expensive, and his bat's declining a bit, it's coming down in, into this 24.5 range here. Um, so it makes sense that they would trade him, and it, and it makes sense that the Blue Jays would, well, I guess that's the part that, that isn't quite as clear to me, is the, the Blue Jays acquiring him. They have a pretty crowded infield at the moment. They need to find, I guess, moving Kevin Biggio to an outfield spot, or, or I guess they move him back to second base and let Marcus Semien walk, but they've discussed extending Semien, so it, 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 there would be a lot of things that have to fall into place for it to make sense for the Jays to be spending a big trade asset on Chapman. And then uh, on the A's side, as far as the return here goes, I'm not sure I love it either. Groshans is a huge talent, don't get me wrong, and that's a lot of upside to be getting back for Chapman, but I'm not sure that's the direction they're going if they are rebuilding. I'm not sure they're targeting a guy who's probably going to make his MLB debut in 2022. I think they're going to shoot younger, start to restock the farm, go into a more traditional year rebuild. I don't think they're retooling and going for it again in 2022 like they did back in 2015 and, and failed at when they traded everybody but brought Brett Laurie back and traded for Ben Zobrist. I don't I don't think this is that kind of season where they try to have their cake and eat it too and start a rebuild but also get some big league pieces and contend again. I don't think that's where they are right now. Uh, so I think they'd probably be targeting a little bit younger than Groshans. But I've been talking a lot. Give your take, John. Yeah. Um, look, I think it's a fair deal and – you know, our uh, resident uh, A's fan Grover thinks it's a fair deal as well. He really likes Jordan Groshans. Um, I think there's a question about um, what his defense, defensive position is because he was for a while listed as a shortstop. Now it seems like he's going to move to third. So maybe he's the third base and shortstop. I don't think he's the necessarily elite defender that the uh, A's like to have at the hot corner, but he does have a bat. So I think there's that. Um, so, but look, you know, given given Chapman's, um, you know. Uh, hitting decline this year let's put it it's 
I think it's a fair deal. So uh, I don't think the A's would say no necessarily. I do think you make a good point about the Jays. It's easy to kind of forget about Biggio since he hasn't really been playing much this year. And so, like, they've got Ravik Valera at third base right now. So, yeah, if you put Chapman there now, of course, it'd be an upgrade. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the question is, is, is Biggio coming back and where is he going to play, to your point? Um, so, yeah, it's a tough call. I, I, I think, it, you know, it kind of depends on the moving parts, right? So are they going to resign Simeon? You know, if they don't, they move Vizio there and they get a third baseman. If they do, then they don't need him. So, like, that's the whole question. So, um, yeah. So, in a vacuum, I think it's fine pending these other issues right now. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, yeah, we're going to have to see how the other things shake out first. I think the Blue Jays will try to re-sign Semyon first and then see how it shakes yeah. out from there. Yeah. I, I think there are more natural fits than the Blue Jays for Chapman. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I'm not counting them out at all, and and as we mentioned, there's the the history there. So yeah, uh, thank you for the submission, Apple Tax, and let's use that to transition into your article on the <laughs> impending A's rebuild. I'll, I'll let you take it away. Thank you. So um, you know, we've talked about situations like this in the past. The Rockies being a prime example. We've done articles like the Rockies need to rebuild. Did they listen to us? No. Should they have? Yes. <laughs> They fire their GM. They've had a lost year. They've messed things up. Okay. But hey, they still this, have Trevor Story. Yeah, oh, yeah. And they won a few <laughs> games. Like Ken Rosenthal's latest notes saying, yeah, one executive pointed out that because they didn't trade their veterans, they won more games than they expected. I'm like, well, what's the point of that? You know? yeah, like, why, why are we acting like that's a good thing? So, yeah, you right. know how the draft works? <laughs> Like, why do you... Okay. <laughs> but, look, the A's are in a totally different situation. They have a very stable front office. We talked about Billy Bean and so on. You know, and they know when to they know when to trade. Billy actually said at one point it's better to trade early than late. I forget the exact quote, but he's, he's known for that. So this, it seems like the perfect time to rebuild. Um, you know, they, they're... First of all, and they've got a bunch of, you know, roster spots that are, you know, free agents that they're not going to be able to afford to resign starting Marte, Marcana, um, and just being a couple examples and a couple other guys they got in trade, um, Chafin, uh, Harrison, Gomes, these are all pending free agents. They're not going to be able to resign them because they have budget issues, uh, which is a big point. Um, you know, they, they've had a very sort of tight budget this year and a very, you know, they had to thread the needle just to get competitive guys in there this year much less you know at the deadline um and now their guys are only going to get more expensive they can't keep this core together because they don't have the budget to um so the financial point of view is is a big one obviously we've heard about their stadium issues we don't know where that's going it doesn't look great it's just red tape after red tape in oakland now they're shopping in las vegas we don't know originally the plan was to move to the waterfront stadium in in 2023 and they had tied their budgets to that expectation so they thought okay we're going to have a revenue jump in 2023 so now in 2020 and 2021 we can increase the budget a little bit because then we know there's a payday at the end well that's not happening anymore that's a black hole now and so maybe if they move to las vegas and get a new stadium there maybe who knows it's 2027 but they can't count on that anymore so they're going to continue to have this budget sort of nightmare until they do and they're not going to be able to afford the core that they have right now so um, and meanwhile, that core is getting expensive, and their years of control are waning. So Chapman has two years left. Olson has two years left. Um, <clears throat> um, uh, Montalas has two years left. Bassett has one year left. Manaya has one year left. So there's no light at the end of the tunnel, no revenue. 
jump coming. They're not getting the yield uh, revenue sharing checks that they used to. They're on their own. They're in deep waters. Their owner is very rich, but he doesn't want to fund the shortfalls out of his own pocket. He wants the team to kind of sink or swim on its own. So they're not going to get any revenue bumps to pay these guys. And oh, by the way, they're not drawing fans because they've kind of alienated the fans with the Las Vegas talk. And, you know, and the COVID didn't help. That really hit, hit them hard. They're drawing 4,000 people to a game against the Mariners in a playoff race. So it doesn't look good. <clears throat> so I think what the front offices do, their history is very clear. When they're in situations like this, it's reminiscent of after 2014, when they had a three-year run, they traded away Josh Donaldson, Brandon Moss, Jeff Smarja. They got some good returns. Well, some, some debatable returns, but nonetheless, they made the move. They ripped off the Band-Aid. They said, we're going for it. They're, you know, they, they generally don't stick with their guys like say the Royals do they're more like the Rays in the sense that you know they're less sentimental about that and they're more ruthless when it comes to it they traded Sonny Gray a fan favorite they'll they'll trade fan favorites because they know it's for the good of the organization so all the signs point to you know they're going to do this again the other point I will mention is that their farm is one of the weakest in baseball so they when we saw this at the trade deadline where they had very little to work with and they had to use cash to help just to get the guys they did they had to trade a former tough prospect and Jesus Lazardo just to get Starling Marte. They had to trade more prospect capital than perhaps they should have just to get a reliever in Andrew Chafin. So, and you know, and in, and even then they had to have the other teams pay their salaries because they couldn't afford to. This is not a good situation. So they need to rebuild the farm, basically transfer all the asset value that's on the major league club to the farm before it's too late, so they can restock for their next run, which is typically three years away, 2025. Maybe by then they'll have a new stadium. That'll be clearer. And, you know, they only have one prospect right now in the Baseball America Top 100. That's Tyler Soderstrom, who, by all accounts, is a really special hitter. And he's probably due to hit the majors 20, 2023 optimistically, probably more like 2024. So as you were saying earlier, Josh, I think what they would be looking for in a trade situation of their veterans is guys who sort of are, are, are younger and around that same timeline so they can they can kind of form a new core around Tyler Soderstrom's sort of age cohort. So guys at that same level, kind of the high eight, low A to high A level, um, and, and go from there. So um, so the big four that I think they're going to get traded this, that they're going to trade this year are Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, Frankie Montas, and Sean Manaya. Those are the reliable ones you can count on, and those are the ones with significant trade value. So there is going to be a fire sale, and those guys are going to have a lot of interest. Uh, the two pitchers in particular, Montas and Manaya. <clears throat> I mean, given we talked about the Padres and their pitching troubles and the Yankees have had pitching troubles, all Red Sox, all the contenders have had pitching issues, right? Even the Dodgers. Everybody's going to want those guys. All the contenders are going to want those guys. If you add Chris Bassett, who I mentioned uh, when I wrote the article, hadn't come back yet from his unfortunate uh, injury when he had a line drive to the face and it was scary. But he has come back. He just pitched the other day, and he looked fine. He pitched three shutout innings, and that was huge from a trade value standpoint. So his trade value has gone up because that was the big hurdle. We'll see if he can continue that, but maybe add him to the mix because he only has a year of control left. So now there's five guys you can trade if you're the A's. And they have leverage. They can go shopping because all these guys will be attractive to people. So I mentioned, you know, the, the there's another, so now say there's three pitchers there who would be interested in any, you know, of interest to any contender. Olsen will be interested to, to multiple teams. We mentioned the Padres who could, you know, stand to get a, a first base upgrade from Hosmer. 
but also also the Yankees. They'll be losing Rizzo. Um, the Mariners, the Red Sox, the Red Sox. Um, you know, if, if Freddie Freeman doesn't resign with the Braves, they'll be looking for it. And Olsen's from the Atlanta area, so that's a fit. Uh, the Brewers have been struggling to work their first baseman situation. Evan White hasn't really uh, worked out. I know he's been injured for the Mariners, but maybe Ty France is their first baseman, maybe he's not. So Olsen's got some suitors. Chapman, we mentioned maybe the Blue Jays, but I think the Yankees would be interested in him. Um, I know they've got Gio Urshela moved over to shortstop right now. Um, maybe the Rays, maybe the Mariners, because Kyle Seeger may not return because they might not exercise their club option on him. Uh, the, the Mets, the, yeah, the Braves. Well, age. yeah, and Riley, yeah, debatable. Um, the Reds, if they still want to contend, Suarez has had a down year. Uh, the Brewers, yeah, maybe. Urias has picked it up, but um, so maybe they, you know, there's a number of scenarios there where Chapman could fit. Um, so uh, the point is. Every one of these guys, let's call it let's call it five guys, has significant trade value and significant uh, multiple teams would be interested in all of them. So the A's, it's the perfect time to rebuild from financial and otherwise reasons. It's a perfect time from leverage standpoint where all these guys will be in demand. It's just Billy Bean knows a good selling opportunity when he sees one, and I think he'll pull the trigger. All right. I've got a lot of thoughts. Okay. I'm going to try and <laughs> I'm going to try and keep this as brief as possible because we we've been very clear before that that we are A's fans, and so I, I could sit here talking about this for a couple hours, but we don't mm-hmm. really have time for that, and I don't think anybody wants to hear that. This isn't an A's podcast. I am, however, going to put on my A's hat for approximately one minute here. This sucks. This everything about this sucks a lot. It's really disappointing that they put together such a talented core and couldn't do anything with it. It was so exciting having Matt Olson and Matt Chapman come up together and dominate together on both sides of the ball at times. It was exciting watching them put together one of the better rotations they have ever. Montas, Manaya, and Bassett each developed into really talented pitchers. It was exciting watching Ramon Laureano burst onto the scene. Sean Murphy's a a future top five catcher in the league. Even talking about guys like Jesus Lazardo, how exciting they were coming up. The Chris Davis years, the Jed Lowry story. There's so much, the Marcus Simeon story before he left. There's so much here. There was so much talent. It's really disappointing that it looks like it's all going to go away with all they have to show for it being a single series victory in a weird best of three wildcard series in 2020. That's very disappointing. It's also disappointing to see what's happening off the field with the whole stadium issues, with ownership not budging on a single penny, with Dave Cavill, the team president, just completely missing, can't read the room for his life ever. Just how little he seems to care about the Oakland fan base. Um, It's disappointing watching the way that the media has handled a lot of these stories, some of the blame that's being put on the fans. When you look at the product on the field, you look at the talks of Vegas, you look at the price spikes, both in regular tickets and in season tickets, they dropped a bunch of their season ticket perks. And then there's still some people who are blaming the fans for not showing up acting like it's, it's their fault. (laughs) So A's hat on this just sucks. All right. Taking the A's hat off. I'm objective baseball trade values.com employee now. This is interesting. 
<laughs> as you as you pointed out, there's so much talent here that could be moved. And I know earlier I, I alluded to the opposite, but I think there is a chance here. I, I think a lot of it hinges on what happens in the front office. Does Billy Bean stick around? Does David Moore stick around? What's what's happening up top there? I think it all starts there. Um, if they do stick around, I think there is a chance. I, I know. <laughs> I'm contradicting myself from earlier, but I've thought about it more. I think there is a chance they try to pull a 2015 again, where 2014, they were massive disappointments. And as a result, they sold everybody off, but they also traded for Ben Zobris. They signed Billy Butler. That didn't work at all. They um, brought back some major league pieces in those trades, Brett Laurie, Marcus Simeon, so on and so forth. They brought back some pitchers, Kendall Graveman, Sean Nolan. Um, and, and they were kind of looking to rebuild on the fly a little bit, you know, get a little cheaper, get a little younger, but still put together a competitive team in 2020, or excuse me, in 2015 that year. Obviously, that did not work at all. Blew up in their faces. Uh, however, it, not all was lost. They got some really talented players out of that whole thing, even despite them being more aggressive and targeting older players there. So, you know, the Josh Donaldson trade, complete bust. Laurie did nothing for them. Uh, Franklin Barreto was a bust. Sean Nolan did nothing. He's back in the big leagues now, surprisingly, though, with the Brewers. Um, Kendall Graveman is good now, but was terrible for a while. So, obviously, that trade didn't go anywhere, but they got Marcus Simeon out of all of that. They got Chris Bassett out of all of that. Um, if you really want to follow the trade tree, they got Joey Wendell, who they traded for Jonah Heim, who they traded for Elvis Andrews, who hasn't been fantastic, but has been at least a part of the team this season, somewhat productive. Uh, I could go on. There was some success in there. I mean, they traded Ben Zobrist for Sean Manaya. That worked out. <laughs> so there was some success in there. Um, however, I don't know if that's the best move for them, but I think if, if Bean and Forrest are hanging on, I don't know if they're ready to enter a full-on rebuild. Because like you said, it seems like Bean might be getting a little tired of this whole thing. So this trade deadline felt like a bit of a last hurrah, you know, pushing in jesus lazardo for starling Marte as a rental and pushing in some other some of their other few remaining prospects for other rentals but it also didn't feel like they committed to it fully you know there were some other players that they maybe could have dealt and didn't not that they have a lot to deal but they didn't fully go all in they didn't go get trevor story too um so i mean I think you're you're right that they don't have much of anything to trade from on the farm, and they don't have much of anything in terms of money because even it's going to be expensive just to keep the current team together, and that's not even counting Marcana's a free agent, Starling Marte's a free agent, Josh Harrison, Jan Gomes, uh, half their bullpen, <laughs> probably yeah. Andrew Chafin because he has a mutual option. He's been the only reliable yeah. reliever down there. He's likely to leave, and then you look at they have to find replacements. They're not going to bring back, I don't think, Sergio Romo and Yusmero Petit because they've been so poor in the second half here. It's, it seems like it's kind of the end of the line for them, but they have to find replacements for them, and they're not going to be free. They're going to cost a little bit of money, and everybody else is due for raises. So it's it's a very challenging task. I think there's a scenario in which they get it done by moving some major league pieces, shuffling things around a little bit. I think you can get away with trading Chapman and one of the pitchers and, and try and get some big league ready players in return but you're just threading the needle so thin there i don't know if that's realistic at all um and, and i mean I, I think a lot of it is going to come down to i think first and foremost it comes down to what bean does what bean and force do and then second i think it comes down to the ballpark stuff and we're not going to know about that for a little while unfortunately but if they are truly optimistic that they can get it done in oakland 
in the not super distant future. Like if they can get it done in Oakland, they might have a ballpark in three years. It might be optimistic, but they might have a ballpark in three years. And so I don't think you want to enter a full teardown because you still want some energy for that ballpark opening. You want a good team in that ballpark. We've seen that with all these teams, the Braves, the Rangers, they, they push to try and put together a contender for the first year in their ballpark. Obviously Rangers, a bit of a weird case, but they, they did make some moves there. Um, if, if it is looking more like Vegas or somewhere else, that's a longer timeline because they've already did done a whole lot of work in Oakland. Uh, they haven't gotten a shovel in the dirt, but they've done a lot of, a lot of work on the legal side. So if you really are looking at, you know, five, six years until the new ballpark, then I think you are looking at more of a teardown. And I think that also kind of coincides with, with being getting out of here. Um, so I think, yeah. I think it's, it's a rare case in which the off field, uh, news and developments matter so much to how this offseason is going to go. It could go in so many different directions, but regardless, it seems like they have to trade somebody. They're going to have to trade one of these well-played, or excuse me, well-paid stars, and it's just a matter of who and what they're targeting in a return and how many of them they do trade. Yeah. Can I just rag on Jim Bowden again for a second here? Uh, one of our Anytime. favorite guys. Uh, <laughs> he mentioned in, uh, in an article recently talking about the Yankees, um, like, oh, one of my favorite trade ideas is for the Yankees to acquire Matt Olson. And I like uh, Luke Voigt and Gleyber Torres going back. And, <laughs> okay, hang on, Jim. <laughs> um, yet another case of, like, table scraps, you know, guys who are struggling and not even playing for the Yankees for the most part, going to a guy who's probably the A's best trade ship. So, no, that's not going to happen. Um, I don't think the A's are going to make any sort of deal like that. Um, now, look, nothing I'm, – I'm the first one who will tell you I'm not – um, you know, I, it, nothing is ever black and white. Nothing is ever 100% certain. I think it's highly certain that they're going to tear it all down. I think, you know, it's probably like uh, my confidence is probably in the 90s here, but, you know, it's not perfect. And I, I'm just one person with an opinion. Um, but it's an educated opinion based on my years of watching the team, but also uh, watching the patterns of the front office, knowing exactly if you look at the details of the finances and stadium and the players or years of control and the money, it's all pointing in the same direction. So I do think there's a thread the needle situation as a small probability. So, but, but I think it makes more sense to just blow it all up and start over and, and, and get a bunch of prospect talent that is kind of keyed around Soderstrom's age range. And because even if they stay in Oakland and, and the stadium gets resolved, they're not moving in until 2023. They're, it's probably 2027. So the core is going to be gone anyway. So, you know, you want the new core to get ready because you're adjusted your timeline uh, for the stadium, wherever it is. Um, and and not with that comes the finances. MLB wants them to get their act together. They pushed them for that. They they cut off the money supply. They used to be getting money like eight and a half million a year. Uh, no, it was thirty four million a year when it peak. Yeah. And they and they reduced that, phased it out year by year to the point where it's now non-existent. So they they were getting gravy trade money, which is a lot, which back in the day allowed them to sign a Billy Butler to kind of cover up some holes or whoever and, and make some trades for a Ben Zobrist who was not cheap. So they had money to play with in those days. They don't anymore. It's all on, on and, and they're not drawing fans. So I really think that's a driver. Um, and, and I think that's why it's more likely they're going to go scorched earth. So, but look, the good news is, you know, the sooner they do it, the sooner they rip off the Band-Aid, the sooner they get prospect talent in. And, um, you know, maybe it's only like a, a three-year window, maybe even a two-year decline. I don't know. They, they were 
you know, it only took them three years to get back to playoffs this this with this core. So maybe they can do it again. Mm-hmm. And earlier, I believe earlier this season, or maybe maybe last off season, <clears throat> we discussed kind of this idea of when Bay's window is going to close. And and I said, well. Yeah, it seems like the window is starting to close after 2021, but it's also kind of hard to say it's for sure closed because they have Sean Murphy, who's around for so long, and they have Jesus Lazardo, who's so talented and around for so long, and they have Ramon Laureano, who's so talented and around for a few extra years, and like guys like that typically don't get traded, so what do you do? That that kind of resolved itself a little bit. There's <laughs> Lazardo was traded, which was a shocker, but we also didn't expect him to just forget how to pitch. Yeah. Um, and then Murphy... <laughs> I, I, there's still no answer there, but he's, I think he's very underrated. I'm a big Sean Murphy fan. Um, and then Loriano, obviously we saw what happened there and that he's, his trade, he's hard to value right now. He's pretty untradeable at the present moment. Um, but yeah, there's, <laughs> I don't have anything to add there. Just no, <laughs> I think a lot know, can he... change in six months or however long that was. Yeah, I mean, and they could very well trade him. I, I don't think they're going to trade it off season because he's still got some. He's still s- serving the suspension for the PEDs, which will carry over into the early part of next year. So um, I think the open question there is: Will he be the same player after he comes back from that? Just to make sure he tests cleanly and can still be as productive. If so, then they've got another asset to trade at the deadline, um, or they can keep him and try to extend him. Whatever. Um, maybe things will be clearer by then, but I don't think he's going to trade this offseason, which is what I mentioned in the article. So I think it's those big four plus Bassett now, maybe because he's come back. Okay, looks like he looks like he's okay. So call it the big five. Um, you move all those. You move your farm from you know one of the worst to at least a top, you know, in the top half, and maybe even top ten. You know, and then if you trade Laureano at the deadline, presuming he's back to where he was, maybe you can. You know, Climb as high as top five, play your cards right, evaluate your talent right. You're back in the playoffs, hopefully in three years, and get a new stadium. That's the, that's the future. I I think it's safe to say, kind of like we were mentioning with the with the Mets earlier. I think it's safe to say there is going to be significant activity with the A's this off season. Mm-hmm. I don't know how optimistic to be about it. I I think I'm more optimistic than the average A's fan or just average baseball fan. I'd say. Um, with them getting something done in Oakland. They've just already done so much work there. And uh, Susan Slusser especially has, has tweeted out a couple times that MLB wants them to stay there. They don't want the Giants to have the Bay Area market all to themselves. None of the <laughs> none of the NL teams want that at all. Um, so it, there's just so many factors that I believe, despite, despite some of the hurdles that remain and the, some of the opposition, uh, I think there's just so much going for it happening in Oakland. But beyond that, I have no idea. <laughs> there there might be some 99th percentile outcome here where they get good news on Oakland and then the, the, the checkbooks are open because let's go. We got the ballpark. That's what we were waiting for. Resign Marte, resign Harrison, keep everyone else. Here comes Canna. We're adding this guy. I, I, I'm calling that 99th percentile for a reason. That's a pipe. Um, <laughs> it's much more likely that there's going to be some disappointment among the Oakland fan base. And it's really just a question of how much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the fans I've spoken to have already sort of accepted that reality because, you know, they've been down this road before. This is not their first yep. radio for the most part. They've seen this movie, you know, a few times. So I'm mixing metaphors here, but then, you know, my point is, okay, it's painful, but we know, you know, the front office knows what it's doing and they'll get back there. So it's just a matter of waiting through it. Mm-hmm. So and 
on that. Go prospect shopping. You know, prospect yeah. shopping can be fun, right? Yeah. I mean, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm ready to see what shiny new toys they can pick up. Yeah, right. All right. On that somewhat somber note, uh, this podcast has already gone a half hour longer than either of us expected it to. I guess we're just we're just good at that. We're good at fitting that time slot. Uh, but I think I'm. I think that's all I have. Do you have anything else to add? Uh, no. Welcome back. Let's look forward to the off season. If your team is out of it and you want to start, you know, thinking about, well, what can I get for this guy or what's this guy going to deliver? Use our values. They've been updated for the most part, at least in the first pass, and we'll get to more updates later. But you can at least try your hand now. Mm-hmm. And for everyone else, enjoy the uh, enjoy the postseason. I, I'm jealous. <laughs> 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 all right, that'll do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the season and the beginning of the postseason. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.